Hi, you're through to the PR department podcast and this is your host, Katie Braden. Hi, hello. Um, so before starting today's episode, um, I think it's really important to acknowledge that there are so many things happening in the world right now. Um, obviously, there are lots of things happening in the world all the time that don't make it onto front page, front page news. Um, but at the moment, we are being battered by front page news. So yeah, hopefully this episode of the podcast is a little bit of escapism and just a little half an hour where you can think about something trivial that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But yes, I mean, for me, the biggest coping mechanism is putting down my phone and doing something else. So maybe the podcast can be your something else for today. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that before we get into this, because even though there are many so-called, and I'm doing air quotes, issues around today's, discussed in today's topic um, throughout the episode, Obviously, they are extremely trivial in the grand scheme of things. And I'm discussing this topic um, from a PR and marketing perspective. It's not like bashing anybody or whatever. It's just my opinion as a PR and looking at it from different sides, purely because I find it interesting, not because I find it important. (laughs) So just... pin those things down before we get started. So today we're going to be discussing London Fashion Week, um, specifically the inclusion of fast fashion brands at London Fashion Week, which appeared to be a lot more prevalent this season than I've ever seen it before. Um, Obviously, you had the big PLT show. And for those of you who don't know, PLT stands for Pretty Little Thing. Oh, God, I almost like it was almost like my throat had like an adverse reaction to saying Pretty Little Thing. It was like, no, stop it. Um, So, yeah, that's Pretty Little Thing. Um, I didn't realize that. So a lot of people, I think it's up north, call them PLT. Um, But yeah, not everyone knows what that means. So it's a pretty little thing. Uh, Opoly also did a show. And I saw uh, various other brands who aren't necessarily like high-end designer, uh, like House of Sunny. Um, I know they've had a bit of an issue uh, at some point with supposedly greenwashing. But I'm not going to delve too much into that because I don't know too much about it. Obviously, the main point of discussion here is going to be the PLT show. Um, Obviously, it was everywhere. I mean, it was on my feed anyway. It was all over my Instagram feed. I don't know whether that is because of the people I follow, because of the algorithm, whatever it is, but I felt like there was so much social media activity. Um, Obviously, the majority of the guest list was made up of influencers, so of course we were seeing it via them. Um, They also had a fair few like influencer model hybrids, so you were seeing it via them. And then of course you've got Molly May, their creative director, who is also an influencer. So it seemed like every element of the show was um, 
dripping in influencers essentially so hence why it has this huge social media reach so that's one point to touch on right off the bat this huge influencer reach like it wasn't I'm probably going to get in trouble here but it wasn't necessarily like a fashion crowd it wasn't your typical like fashion girlies you know your high fashion girls who you see front row at Chanel Gucci Saint Laurent every season it was not that group it was a very different group it was very like people who work with PLT people who kind of promote that level Um, and when I mean I say level I mean like price range like you saw of misguided boohoo plt kind of price range it was that kind of influencer and i'm not saying anything against that kind of influencer in any way shape or form it's just stating a fact you know we do have different target audiences the same way as you have boots and selfridges it's completely different different target audience different price range exactly the same with influencers that's like a good way to explain it so there was influencers coming at this from every angle So it has a huge social media reach. Cool. Point one, in the bag. So next point, if we talk about Molly May, the creative director of PLT specifically. So there's this big storyline, you know, she's so proud of herself. We've all seen it on TikTok, the three days to go. If you haven't seen that video, it's quite funny. Um, I would recommend looking that up if you don't know what I'm referring to she basically walks in front of the camera and just as she gets to the end of the frame she like really quickly says three days to go and I understand what they were doing with the video but it it's just done in a really strange way so basically it got a huge reach on TikTok because a lot of people were stitching the video because it was quite funny anyway so there's this big big build-up there's a big countdown um And then you've got, you know, multiple posts from Molly, lots of story activity where she's saying, you know, this is like a huge thing in her career, like a huge achievement, something that she's so, so proud of. PLT at London Fashion Week, you know, really, really hyping up this story. Obviously, she's the creative director and if she wasn't hyping it up, I'm sure they would have issues so anyway she's hyping it up you know this is the biggest this is the penultimate thing that she's done in her career London Fashion Week Pretty Little Thing Catwalk her collection there's this whole story it's a big 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 marketing story so I was kind of side-eyeing it a little bit like oh London Fashion Week okay interesting interesting and then I started to see more and more and more and I was like this is um quite the media storm for a London Fashion Week show um you know it's getting a lot of attention there's a lot of posting there's a lot of activity huge social media strategy great I was you know looking on as a PR as you do in the window with no budget (laughs) eyeing up the companies with all the budget seeing what they're doing they're doing it with Molly May I see I've got you um so yeah I was taking in all of that Then obviously you get to show day um, and there's all of these influencers. They all have an overnight stay at quite a well-known London hotel and you get the whole story from lots of different people all across Instagram stories. They're on the train. Apparently Pretty Little Thing hired out a whole carriage for them all to travel together because a lot of them were coming from northern places like Manchester etc. So they had a whole carriage 
on this train. They're all traveling together. They end up in this hotel. PLT has booked all of their rooms. You know, they're all getting ready. They're getting dressed. They're so hyped. They go into London Fashion Week. Also, might I add, most of these influencers wouldn't be invited to London Fashion Week usually like this isn't something in their calendar that they would usually do so it's very exciting for them and it's very exciting for their followers they're all going along to London Fashion Week together so you get in this big hype you know we're at London Fashion Week we're watching the PLT show etc etc so why I'm kind of like really harping on this point is because this is how I felt when I was watching all of this social media coverage coming out. I was like, wow, like they are really, you know, hyping, hyping, hyping this up. And there's a big emphasis on London Fashion Week. You know, there's lots and lots of stories where it said directly London Fashion Week, like LFW, we're going to London Fashion Week with Pretty Little Thing. That was the story. But then a few days afterwards, I... I mean, I had my suspicions because I kind of know how London Fashion Week works from the inside because I've worked it numerous years um, with clients being sponsors, etc. Um, but I was suspicious and I was like, are they really at London Fashion Week? Are they really? Are they? Because <laughs> I just couldn't see it myself. Um, and then it comes to light that the British Fa- Fashion Council... so. Let me just give you like a brief uh, history on how it works. So the British Fashion Council control London Fashion Week and they have to say yes or no to designers and brands showing officially at London Fashion Week. So you have to be an approved designer or brand to show at London Fashion Week and be on the official London Fashion Week schedule. So London Fashion Week will have a schedule. Usually it runs from Friday to Monday. Monday, so it runs over four days across a weekend. The official schedule um, will be available like via London Fashion Week and a lot of people will obviously scoot from show to show to show. So how it used to work so a few years ago London Fashion Week used to be held at a really iconic venue Somerset House um, and it was really really ideal because a lot of the shows would just happen there Um, the showrooms would also happen there so it was a very like central location for London Fashion Week Uh, they for some reason didn't renew the contract at Somerset House I'm sure there's a whole other drama behind that but they ended up um taking on this car park yep car park so this is actually like a functioning car park like the other 360 odd days of the year that it's not fashion week um it's right smack bang in the center of soho and it is an absolute nightmare so they have to do a full build of the catwalks inside this car park so it's not a purpose-built building um i remember doing a show there where the catwalk was built in such like a strange way that once you were backstage that was it like you couldn't actually get out unless you went down the catwalk so we um I had two shows I was working two shows back to back I was at my first show and I was backstage with press the show was running like half an hour late but I couldn't leave to go to my next show venue to meet other press who I had appointments with because the only way out was down the catwalk and by this point like when there's a delay on the show everybody was already seated so like if I had just walked out down the catwalk they would have thought that like the show was starting with like 
a tiny weeny strange looking model who's wearing a big black coat um so (laughs) I had to wait until the show was actually done for me to then get out and get to my next show so my point being is that they're not really the venues are not really purpose-built and I don't understand them and they can be quite um annoying uh they are also not all down in the car park because from what I know a lot of designers don't like to show there so then they'll find like their own venues like there's a gorgeous church venue there's um another venue which was in like an underground warehouse like there's lots of venues but the issue with it that they didn't have when it was at Somerset House is that all of these venues are sprinkled all over London so if like me you were working two shows back to back, which a lot of press and influencers do. They work shows back to back to back. If one show is running behind, not only is it running behind, but you then have to like make up your travel time and you're trying to travel across London during Fashion Week. It's just a whole palaver. Um, and that is why uh, a lot of brands and designers actually wrap cars with their branding, like Ubers and taxis, and give them to press and influencers for Fashion Week to like cart them around because it is such a nightmare. But those cars and taxis that are wrapped in branding is actually a brilliant way of um, PRing because you get a big thank you at the end because the person you love the most during London Fashion Week is your driver. Anyway, I can't even remember what started off that tangent. <laughs> but- but there we are so London Fashion Week British Fashion Council they approve all of the designers and the brands that run on the official London Fashion Week schedule there we go that was the point that was the point ladies and gentlemen end of podcast no I'm joking um so yeah the British Fashion Council came out and said that Pretty Little Thing was not an approved brand slash designer and they were not actually showing on the official London Fashion Week schedule so I thought this was a little bit fishy like I didn't think that they were showing on the official London Fashion Week schedule I was like there's just no way but then on the flip side I was like they've just gone through two years of Covid pandemic they've this they've struggled like London Fashion Week has struggled um obviously they had to adapt from in-person shows to being predominantly digital it's not really the same like it's not the same watching a fashion show digitally as it is like getting all dressed up and like going to the venue and networking and you know it's a whole thing like it's a whole thing it's not just sitting down and watching the fashion show like anybody can do that on Vogue an hour after the catwalk has happened like it's not the same experience as sitting and going attending a fashion show so for that reason as well they were struggling a little bit in terms of sponsors so a lot of London Fashion Week shows are um, really reliant on sponsors so the sponsors will either give financial support um, as well as a team so for example for every fashion show you'll need a hair and makeup team so say mac comes in and is like right we're going to do the makeup they will provide a whole team they'll provide the look the creative and sometimes like pay money to be the sponsor and for that money obviously they get their logo they get press attention along with the press attention for the designer of the show so it's a sponsorship deal so you'll have one for hair one for makeup sometimes one for nails um that kind of thing there's not always money involved sometimes it's just a team like a lot of the shows that I've worked it's just been providing a team providing products um and then you get like a very basic support package where you 
you can bring like a few members of press backstage sometimes if you're lucky they'll give you like a ticket allocation so you can have like a member of press at the show so you can bring like for example a beauty editor and they will cover the look that you're doing from a beauty perspective and then they'll come and watch the show with you and it's like a nice experience anyway sponsorships so when we were going through the pandemic and everything was digital um obviously they still needed sponsors but this style of event isn't really as attractive to a sponsor like I don't think any of my brands were interested in doing fashion week digitally I think they just like skipped it um which I know a lot of brands did like obviously your big big brands like your L'Oreal's for example they'll still have a huge churning machine of a budget year after year pandemic or not so I'm assuming they would have still gone in and done it but for the smaller brands which are like some of my clients um where you have to weigh up every opportunity and like every opportunity needs to have like some sort of you know ROI and something coming back around to you um yeah it wasn't really worth it so now that we're getting back into in-person shows this was the first season where we could do in-person shows with minimal restrictions and this was going to be the first season where it looked like closer to normality in a sense So this would have been a big test for the sponsors to see kind of, you know, how it goes two years on, like, are Preston interested? Are they still getting the same, like, marketing PR content returns they were getting pre-pandemic? You know, there's lots of questions and it feels like being there and being a sponsor can be a little bit of a risk because we just haven't done it for the last two years, okay? Some brands have, but most brands did not. So, yes, in saying all of that, it felt, you know, you were watching London Fashion Week come back and you knew that there was a lot to prove. But you also knew that it was struggling because, obviously, coronavirus. Great. Another point in the bag. Um, So, yeah. This is where I thought maybe, maybe, maybe it was like a finance thing. So obviously we know that Pretty Little Things founder is a billionaire. Um, You know, it's very, very um, talked about in the media how much money the company makes, how much the founder makes, and also how little the garment workers make. But we'll come on to that in a a second because I feel like that's a completely separate point. Um, but yes, so we have a billionaire founder, big million dollar brand. So I thought, you know, if London Fashion Week is struggling for cash, maybe they've come up with some kind of deal where Pretty Little Thing have paid them a shed load of money to be on their London Fashion Week schedule. So I could see it, you know, like I, at first I was like, this is crazy. But then when I was kind of thinking into the logistics of the sponsorship and the financial struggle and COVID and everybody's kind of like coming back, I was like, you know, maybe they have come to some sort of deal. I could see that happening behind the scenes. But no, British Fashion Council, London Fashion Week came out and said Pretty Little Thing was not running officially on the London Fashion Week schedule and when I looked at it again I was like of course it wasn't because it was on the Thursday night so London Fashion Week traditionally starts on the Friday the Pretty Little Thing show was on the Thursday evening so basically what they'd done is plonked it onto the tail end of Fashion Week and then just put London Fashion Week all over all of their comms which actually 
has the complete opposite effect of what all of these influencers and Molly May and everyone was going for with this big like London Fashion Week we're going to Fashion Week hype it actually is extremely strange and embarrassing when you then find out that they weren't at London Fashion Week at all and they basically just scheduled their show onto the tail end of London Fashion Week and just said they were there like to me that makes my toes curl a little bit like again from a PR perspective if a brand of mine had suggested doing that I would be like um with respect I'd rather die so yeah that was the case with that so I explained this on my Instagram stories um because a lot of the time like the things that are really prevalent to me and make a lot of sense to me like um people who don't work in my industry don't necessarily know about and so many people message saying like we had no idea that they weren't actually at fashion week like we just saw all of the posting and all of like the branding and all of the chit chat of london fashion week and just assumed that that was that um so yeah they were not at london fashion week they just plonked the show on the end of it so a lot of the conversation as well that I was seeing was like why does it matter if they're at London Fashion Week or not like it literally doesn't matter and like yeah I agree it doesn't matter but it kind of does to the designers and the brands where London Fashion Week is like a huge PR marketing event in their calendar like for um, high-end designers like the two seasons of London Fashion Week are the biggest events in the calendar for them uh, like for example I used to work at a PR agency who looked after high-end menswear brands and they used to produce their fashion shows and their whole working calendar so this was the PR agency it wasn't even the designer like obviously the designer's doing this as well but the PR agency used to echo this way of working their whole calendar was around the fashion weeks so they would work for six months of the year so three months around spring three months around autumn and they that's what they would do and then they would take the the rest of the year off um which is like that just goes to show like how big those six months of the year are when London Fashion Week is your main like earner and also your main PR story and source of marketing for the entire year um like obviously they'd be like um, showing samples and like giving samples to press in between but that that was their big story like the fashion week is their marketing like that is it for them so the way that I see it like pretty little thing is not a designer and it's not a brand that I was gonna say it's not a brand yes it is a brand <laughs> it is certainly a brand but it's not a designer so the way that these sort of fast fashion companies work they tend to like pick what they want out of like almost like a catalogue of items um or they will just like copy another piece and just get it made up in a cheaper way either unfortunately in sweatshops in the UK or overseas and then they will import the items at a really cheap cost so essentially the process would be like okay this season it's all about blue t-shirts because um, Versace did blue t-shirts last year so they would send a picture or a drawing of this blue t-shirt they would get it mass produced um, and they would ship it back to the UK or they would just pick a blue t-shirt out of a manufacturer 
um, catalogue, maybe make some changes, maybe not, see if they can be bothered and then just ship it en masse back to the UK. So that is a business model. Obviously, it is doing them very well. They have a billionaire founder, um, even if their business, core business is based off of exploitation and paying people not a fair wage but again another topic for the end of the podcast I keep edging towards that topic like I'm just like you can tell I'm just itching to talk about it but I'm gonna hold off because we have other things to cover until then um so yeah they're not necessarily like there's not a dis is there's not a pretty little thing designer like molly may didn't sit down at a table with her pencil and her pen and her rubber and she didn't design the whole collection for plt she didn't create a mood board she didn't go on a trip to japan and get inspired she just picked some items out of a catalog and placed them together into a collection there was no design process there's no innovation there's no creativity and there's no artistry put that on a t-shirt um so you know all of the things that make you a designer um they don't happen at pretty little thing and if they do they happen on an extremely small scale whereas you have you know london fashion week is such a celebrated place for creativity innovation design artistry you know we have some of the most incredible emerging designers in the world like some of the most creative and exciting shows happen in london even if i do say so myself because i'm british um but you know it's always one to watch because there's always like these really cool up-and-coming designers there every year and it's always always cutting edge so these designers, London Fashion Week, it's so important for them to get press, to get attention. Like, that's why designers do crazy things on the runway. Of course, it's t- for artistic expression, but it's also to generate press. Because, what did I say earlier? Pre- fashion Weeks are the two biggest things in these designers' marketing calendars, PR calendars. So, them getting press on their show is so important for the success and growth of their brand from a PR perspective perspective and then you've got molly may and pretty little thing who are not creative they're not a designer so they actually don't have any place being at london fashion week but yet they are taking all of the london fashion week press away from the designers who actually need it and for me that is the fundamental like pr issue here like pretty little thing have basically sucked all of the pr features out of London Fashion Week by saying that they were at London Fashion Week and causing this big stir because they're a fast fashion brand and they actually have no right being there. So press are covering this PLT Thursday night, not even at London Fashion Week show. And then all of the designers who have killed themselves to make these amazing collections are not necessarily getting that coverage because the journalists are focused on PLT. I just wanted to give you a moment there because... Like, do you understand why this is frustrating from a PR perspective? Like, especially because they're coming back. It's after the pandemic. They're on the up, you know. They're not riding a wave here. They're on the way up the mountain from a PR perspective, like with sponsors, with money, with building their brands, building their collections, building their brands. 
And then you've got PLT coming on in who are absolutely fine. They can afford not to do London Fashion Week and get all of this press. But yet they've stolen that press opportunity away from the designers who A, are actually at London Fashion Week, B, deserve to be there and C, deserve the press that they could have got off the back of it. Because then if they got loads of press, the season after, they'd find it easy to secure financial sponsorships. They'd find it easier to secure creative sponsorships like hair, makeup teams, nails, etc you know it's all part of building the brand like if you have a really successful fashion week and you get press everywhere the next season everybody wants to be involved in your shows the press want to come to your shows the influencer wants to come to your shows the hair team you know you'll get better brands you'll get better makeup artists you'll get better everything because people want to be at your show they want to be associated with it London Fashion Week is all about association sponsorships are all about association and I'm talking really fast because I'm very passionate about it (laughs) so yes that is one of the huge issues I had with it like how dare somebody pick a collection out of a catalogue and not even there's just no ounce of creativity it's just putting basically putting outfits together and then sending them down a catwalk and then they take press features away from these designers who kill themselves going through like art schools and you know spending thousands of pounds on materials and research and development and creating this like amazing concept and idea and innovative like ideas like (sighs) I can't think about it for too long because it really makes me annoyed. Like they've just picked their collection out of a catwalk, shipped it across from China or made it in a sweatshop in the UK and then sent it down a catwalk and called it a London Fashion Week show. Like the audacity, the audacity. So that is, um, that's my thought on that. Um, The one thing that I will say about the show is that the models were incredibly diverse. Um, Tess Daly, obviously, who's an incredible influencer in a wheelchair, she was there. Like, that was one thing that they did really well. And thank God they did it really well because they have the budget to do it really well. Like, they're not, there's no slim pickings of models when you have a PLT budget. Again, billionaire owner so come on now dig deep if you're gonna dig deep pay your models get good people get into it um so yeah I was really pleased to see that and that was something that was celebrated I saw a lot of talk about that on social media so I did want to highlight that today um because you know credit where credit is due um there was some criticism that people were being like oh they're just basically using diversity to cover up the fact of like all their wrongdoings behind the scenes which you know I can see that as well like it is kind of a version of like greenwashing if you will like you're doing something on the front to kind of like distract from what's going on behind um so let's talk about it then shall we let's talk about the elephant in the room what is going on behind the scenes so there were protests outside of the London Fashion Week show um, which was really interesting to see um, where people were protesting the fact that uh, Pretty Little Thing, Boo Hoo, you know, Misguided, all of these, I don't know if Misguided is, no, Misguided isn't owned by the same person, but Boo Hoo is, um, and they have been found to use um, vulnerable, mostly uh, immigrant women in sweatshops, and I think the rate that they were found to have been paid was like £3.50 an hour with um, an annual earning of like seven thousand 
So obviously that is not enough to live off. That is exploitation. It is below the minimum wage and it is something that you would class as a sweatshop. And this is happening in the UK. I believe it was Leicester that this was happening in. And that's not even taking into consideration the uh, the factories that they use with their manufacturers overseas. That is just within the UK. So if that's the situation within the UK where we actually have quite harsh regulations, God knows what it looks like abroad. Um, I'm sure there is more information on it. I have not done a deep dive into this topic Um It was just something I wanted to talk about in this podcast because it is of importance. Um, So that was another issue that people had with it is, you know, you've got all of this money to be at London Fashion Week, supposedly, to be putting people up in hotels, to be booking out whole carriages on trains for your founder to be a billionaire, to be proposing with, you know, a ring that was worth like hundreds of thousands of pounds, but yet we can't pay even minimum wage like the whole brand and the whole business model is basically run off of exploitation um obviously they've been bashed massively as well for sustainability issues you know fast fashion huge amounts of clothes going into landfill you know it promotes this really unhealthy habit of buying tons of like trendy clothing that you don't need and you're not going to use um also the garments are made out of a lot of polyester which is essentially a plastic honest to god the list goes on and on and on and i was thinking about it the other day of like things that I could put at the end of this podcast as like suggestions on how to improve the brand um and to be quite frank like there isn't any there's not any because the brand is based off of bad things like fundamental bad things like they could pay their workers fairly but it would dent their pockets massively so why would they do that when they can just be billionaires and exploit people which is obviously the route that they've chosen and if it's not pretty little thing it's boohoo and if it's not boohoo it's one of their other brands because they own a ton there's so many under the boohoo group i think it's what it's called um and they're all going to be run off of the same business model because obviously it's the same founder which is really quite sad so yeah we've got all these sustainability issues we've got humanitarian issues we've got design issues we've got creative issues i mean there's there's quite a few issues with the show um which is why i wanted to talk about it because it is um a topic that you guys seem to be interested in when i was having little mini rants on my instagram stories so (laughs) here it is all in one podcast so you can listen to it for half an hour what a treat so with the um the demonstrations outside the fashion show it obviously sparked a lot of conversation online um one of the points was, you know, stop bringing people down. What happened to women supporting women? Um, to which I would say, what happened to women supporting women who are working in the sweatshops? You know, it's not just influencers supporting influencers, is it? Like women in general are being taken advantage here predominantly. So let's not forget that. Um, there's also an argument of, well, some people can only afford fast fashion. To which I would say, yes. 
totally. Um, but you also don't need to buy, you know, a haul's worth of clothes every few weeks or every few months. Not saying that everybody does that, but, you know, the influencer and internet culture that we do live in now, there's a huge emphasis and promotion on new, 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 like trends are moving faster, like we can't even keep track. Um, So people are buying these, you know, cheap items to kind of keep up, which isn't necessary. You know, if you don't necessarily have the money to be spending on trend items, you know, building a basic wardrobe that can be swapped in and out or even shopping vintage um just not shopping on mass really is uh is the biggest way to go um not everybody can afford you know designer things but it's not about that it's about uh consumption so yeah there was a few kind of interesting counter arguments being made online but all of which I think were kind of snubbed out pretty quickly because obviously coming to the end of this podcast it's quite evident that there are a lot of things wrong here there are a lot of issues um and a lot of it is being hidden by PR and marketing you know they've just brought out this new uh sustainability messaging and platform which is going to mirror like a depop where people can resell their clothes um which on the surface seems to be like you know, some kind of sustainability thing. But fundamentally, if we didn't buy clothes en masse, we wouldn't then have to sell them and we wouldn't have to be shipping them all over the world and currying them back and forth to each other. And, you know, even by buying the clothes in the first place, the waste and the haulage, and I could go on and on and on. Um, But that seems to be a very kind of like greenwashing thing as well. It's kind of like an empty gesture. Like, yeah, you're creating a Depop style platform, but your business is still built based on exploitation like that's just the main takeaway really like until you fix that there's kind of like nothing that you can do on top of it that will really make it any better um that's the kind of the fundamental issue here so yeah they are bringing out the depop style platform they also have this like ridiculous sustainability range i think it's called like the recycled range or something i mean And it actually cracks me up when I see influencers who really do fall for it as well. They're like, yeah, this is from PLT's sustainability range. Yeah, that makes me want to throw my phone from a great height because it's like, it's not though. It's just not. It's fundamentally not. Um, But yeah, we could go into this all day, I feel. There are so many like deep dives that could be done on this brand. Um, Very interesting, even if it is kind of negative. Uh, So yeah, those are my thoughts on the whole London Fashion Week thing or not so much London Fashion Week thing from a PR perspective. Um, I hope that was interesting to kind of see it from my point of view because obviously with PR and Fashion Week alike, it's a very kind of closed community and nobody really knows like the ins and outs until you're actually there and working it. Um, It's one of those things where you have to kind of like learn in the field. Like I remember my first few fashion weeks, I was like, what is going on? And then you kind of like learn the ins and outs, like the etiquette. But it's not really anything that anybody could kind of like prepare you for or teach you. You just kind of know. Um, So yeah, explaining the kind of behind the scenes, I think is quite interesting. It's interesting to me anyway. (laughs) It's not interesting to anybody else. Um, So that's all for today's episode. I do hope you enjoyed it and it wasn't too 
uh, negative Nancy, but yeah, it's kind of hard not to <laughs> get a little bit negative when you're dealing with uh, those kinds of topics, but I hope it was as balanced as possible. Um, and I will see you on the next one. Bye.